Open your Bibles up to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. In the big picture, since uh, 2015 began, now over a month ago, we are in the series Pressing On. Pressing On in 2015, which means that we have to be actively engaged in this thing we call sanctification. You are not going to grow spiritually in 2015 if you are passive. If you're just going to let go and let God and assume that by osmosis, you know, something's going to happen. You know, uh, Scripture says that God has actually given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He has provided all the resources. The question for us in 2015 is what are you doing with what you've already been given? And we've been looking at pressing on. And we're going to continue on this morning. Let's, let's pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Lord, thank you for our time of worship so far. And again, I'm just reminded of, of all those that are not here and that love to be here, love to worship, love to be in your word. And, and we just, again, lift them up to you. And uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We are sanctified by your truth. Our minds are renewed, and we are transformed through the hearing and doing of your word. And so now we ask you once again in the power of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, that uh, you would open our hearts and our minds to not just understand it, but then to bring application. And especially, Lord, as we are moving another step forward in uh, learning what it means to press on, and specifically in the area as believers, in this area of sin. Lord, help us uh, even maybe through the discomfort of uh, which we're going to hear and then today and maybe the weeks ahead through your scripture that, that we would be open and receptive to your truth. And uh, Lord, we'll thank you and give you the praise and glory as you continue to transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was uh, coming to the church this morning, Sunday mornings. I, I'm a real early bird, so I, I got up and I'm driving uh, this morning. I'm heading, to the, heading here about 5 a.m., and if you were up that early, you knew it was really, really foggy. And so I left my house and coming up past Miramani and just super foggy and foggy enough where you have to slow down, you know. And so I start to slow down and, and God just started to, to remind me, you know, where we're at as a church and what we're teaching right now, it's okay. Just slow down. Don't get ahead of the headlights. You know, sometimes when you're in fog, you just got to stay at the speed that your headlights show you. And um, so I was like, okay, thank you, Lord. And, and, then, and then as I got into uh, Ojai City proper here, all of a sudden it just disappeared. And there was no, no fog to be seen, and downtown was beautiful and all of that. And, and I, I thought of that, I'm like, okay, where we're at right now in this pressing on as a believer, and as we, as we sort of sneak up on, on looking what the Bible says about sin and how we deal with sin, why we sin, what is sin, we're going to kind of go slow. And, and here's, here's a glorious truth, and here's, here's where I'm excited for all of us, is that as you understand what the Bible says about pressing on and, and how to deal with sin in our life and understand biblically what sin is, there's going to come a moment when it's going to get clear. It's good, the, the fog that many of us are in regarding sin, biblically, as, even as believers, is going to clear. And you're going to go, ah, oh, I understand. 
so much better. Kind of like in the Heaven series. Uh, when we began several weeks ago, many of us came in with preconceived ideas. Things we had picked up. Things we had heard. And many of us have been challenged by the biblical teaching on heaven that doesn't always jive with what we brought into the room. Eh, really, Bill? Are you sure? And you go back and, 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 and you have to work through preconceived ideas versus biblical truth. In the same way, when it comes to sin as believers, I think many of us sort of picked up stuff and I think in many ways it's been, it's been cloudy and, and murky and as a result, because you don't have biblical clarity on this issue of sin and pressing on, you just struggle. You struggle internally. You wonder why you keep doing the same thing over and over. You struggle with guilt, shame, embarrassment. You want to leave the church, all of this kind of stuff. And really it's because there's not real clarity biblically on pressing on as a Christian in this area of sin. What is, what is sin biblically? And how do we deal with it biblically? Right? And in your notes there, we spent last Sunday really hammering two, two foundational truths, right? Let's turn to Ephesians 2. You're already there. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We are going to say these over and over because we have to get this. We have to get these two truths down. Otherwise, when we start talking about sin, you're going to, oh, there they go again. Legalism works. No, we're going to, we're going to hammer this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? Last week, we, we hammered it home. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. In who? In Christ alone, right? We're saved by grace through faith. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay? So we are saved by grace. That's just, that's just, we believe that, we affirm that. Okay, that's where we are. Right? Next one, we also turn to Romans 6. We're going to go back a couple books. Romans 6. We're saved by grace. We get that. But we learned last Sunday, grace is not a license to sin. All right? It's not a get out of hell card. Right? You don't say, I said a sinner's prayer. Now I can live my life the way I want to because all my sins are forgiven. Right, Pastor? No. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. So, Romans 6, 1 and 2, they answer this directly. They answer this directly. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He's not talking about occasional sins. We all occasionally sin. He's talking about a lifestyle, a pattern of sinning. So grace, we're saved by grace. It is not a license to continue a lifestyle of sinning. Okay? That's not biblical. In fact, we looked at several verses. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read them to you in review. John 14:15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will what? Obey what I command. 1 John 2, 3 and 6. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 1 John 5, 3. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Okay, so... You have to hold these two truths as pillars as we move forward, right? Why? Because as the Holy Spirit, even in me, has begun, as I study this and, you know, allow God to say, okay, Lord, show this to me first and foremost. When the God begins to convict you of sin, 
Our natural inclination is to get defensive. We don't like that. It's uncomfortable. Because I'm a good Christian. Because I'm a pastor. You know? And, and so, so when, 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 when biblical teaching about sin comes out, if you don't have those, the grace issue settled, the discomfort turns into defensiveness, and all of a sudden, oh, I knew it. I knew it. They're legalists over there. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And people just, they leave. And, and it's not for any other reason that God begins to work in us and maybe convict us. That's part of the Holy Spirit's ministry is conviction. And, and we just have to be sure, okay, whew, saved by grace, got that. Grace is not a license to sin, got that. Okay, now I can move forward in a biblical examination of sin with the backdrop of grace. Do you guys understand that? You, you, it's very important. Very important, okay? In fact, here's the thing. Why should we be motivated to live for God? Grace! Right? In Luke 9, he says, He who is forgiven much, loves much. If you comprehended God's grace, how much you did not deserve it, and how much benefit you've reaped, heaven, new creation, we should just want to live for God. Amen? Okay? So, so understand that. This is the backdrop as we move baby steps through through little fog of a biblical truth of sin, you ought to, you ought to remember it. we're all about grace here. We're all about grace. I've been labeled a lot of things in 20 years of ministry, and so I'm going to spend as much time as I need to. We believe in grace. Amen? Okay, so let's just settle that. Turn to Titus 2. The interesting thing about grace, Titus is after First and Second Timothy. Interesting thing about grace is that as Christians, we often tend to limit it to salvation. Oh, yeah, we're saved by grace, God's unmerited favor. Grace actually refers to not just his unmerited favor, but his supernatural enablement every day. If you didn't realize it, you are sanctified by grace. You live by God's grace every day. Grace isn't just a salvation thing. It's a sanctification. In fact, look at Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. All right, salvation, grace. Got that. We just, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But look at what it says here as we move forward. Grace is still involved in our life daily, right now. It says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see the role of grace? Grace was there at salvation, but grace also is involved in our sanctification process because when you are saved, who are you indwelt by? The Holy Spirit, right? Christ in me. The whole... God's grace is still enabling you supernaturally to press on. So here's the thing. We've got to carry grace into sanctification. Why? Because many believers, many Christians say, well, you know what? I said that sinner's prayer. I went forward at an altar call. I put my faith in Jesus, but now it's just up to me. Now I guess I just have to do my best. I just have to do my best to clean up my life, to, to go to church, to give, to serve, 
to, to make agape meals. I just got to do my best until I go to heaven. See, we have this sort of this, this misperception, some of us, that we say a prayer, we get saved, and then I'm on my own until I get to heaven. The key in understanding grace coming forward from salvation to sanctification is that you're still in relationship. You're still in a relationship with God. When you said that sinner's prayer, when you put your faith in Jesus, you know what that did? It just began a relationship. It just began a relationship that we called, okay, covenant. Covenant. If you were here last summer, and I encourage you to go back and listen to the tapes, we spent all summer talking about covenant. Because how many of you have ever heard that Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship? How many of you have ever heard that? Question. Well, what kind of relationship is it? What is it? And we talked about some of those, some of those uh, misperceptions we have about the nature of this relationship. Some people think it's a casual Christianity. It's casual. It's companion Christianity. It's crisis Christianity, right? We talked about all this. In the end, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you enter into a covenant relationship with God. Say covenant. Covenant, right? Jeremiah 31 talks about, he says, uh, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, right? Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Covenant equals relationship. Jesus says this is the new covenant in my blood, right? Why is this important? Why is this important? Because when you enter into covenant... Right, And we talked about the walk of death. Remember the walk of death and the marriage ceremony and how serious covenant is? Why is this important? Because biblically, if you're a Christian, you are in a covenant relationship with God. Right? Here's how it relates to our pressing on. Here's how it relates to sin. Look in your notes there. Right? Entering into covenant is the end of of independent living. Genesis 2.24. Here's the, 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 the prime analogy, right? Word picture of covenant. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Marriage, biblically, is a covenant. It's a covenant. Two become what? One. Inseparable, permanent union. That's covenant. That's covenant, right? Turn to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. While you're turning it, I'll read Matthew 19.4.6. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Right? Look at Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Right? Now we'll turn to first, uh, going to go left again. First Corinthians 6. First Corinthians six eighteen. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I encourage you, those verses, many of you, you're familiar with them. But as we move forward, those are foundational to understanding the nature of your relationship with God if you profess to be a Christian. You are in a covenant relationship with God and your days of independence are over. It's done. It's basically, you know... I do, I do premarital counseling over the years. So this couple comes to me, hey, will you marry us? And I say, yeah, here's some premarital we set up. And, and, you know, one of the things I have to get straight with both of them, the very beginning of the pre-counseling is, hey, you realize marriage is a covenant, right? You realize the two become one, right? So are you both willing to give up your singlehood? You realize when you enter into this covenant... Your single days are over. It's now we. And in God's eyes, that's a permanent we. There's no longer this independent little thing of mine. It's now a covenant relationship where your bachelor days are over. Your bachelorette days are over. And we have to settle that on the very beginning. Because if someone doesn't get that, and they try to say, yeah, I want to be in covenant but they still try to live this dual life, it causes conflict and strife for everybody. In the same way, as a believer, many of us struggle with sin at the core because we're trying to live independent of God. We're still trying to live like we're bachelors or bachelorettes. Right? Look at this quote that I put there on your notes. I found this quote and I just like, wow, I got to somehow squeeze it into this little piece of paper. So what is sin? At its core, sin is living independently of God. It is doing life on our own terms, in our own power, and for our own pleasure. Sin is a state of being before it ever results in action. Got to underline that one. Sin is a state of being before it ever results in action. What does that mean? It means before you ever sin, your heart's all about being a bachelor from God. You're still wanting to be independent. You're still wanting to have some control over your own life. And that little bit, that little independent streak in you, that just manifests itself out in sin. That's what he's saying there, right? Therefore, sins are the actions that result from doing life apart from God. 
Check this out. As humans, we were created to live life most freely and naturally in a relationship with God. So indeed, the question is not, why not sin? How many of you have ever been at a crossroads, let's say, with your wife, gentlemen, and you know you probably shouldn't do it? And you ever been in that, should I ask permission or should I ask forgiveness? And you ever hear that it's easier to ask forgiveness rather than permission? Anyone? Oh, come on. I'll just do it. It's easy to ask for forgiveness. If I ask for permission, she's probably going to say no. And then we're getting a big tussle. So I'm just going to do it and ask for forgiveness. Well, that mindset comes into us as Christians. Well, we're, under, we're saved by grace. Why not just sin? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's going to forgive. Why not just sin? That's what he's saying. Say, hey, if that's your attitude, you've got to do a heart check. Because look what he says here. So indeed, the question is not, why not sin? But why would we ever want to? Why would you ever want to sin? We looked last Sunday, Ephesians 4.30, when we sin, we grieve God. We cause Him sorrow. We cause Him pain. Why would I ever want to cause my Father, who by His grace saved me and, and given me all these spiritual blessings, why would I ever want to cause Him grief? See, that's why we're, we're coming to, at this study of sin, and it's the title of, of, the, of the sermon, Sin, dot, 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 it's personal. It's personal. I don't know if many of us ever looked at sin as being personal. I grew up, you know, and I've shared with you before, in the Roman Catholic tradition, sin wasn't personal. Sin was kind of contractual. I sinned, I go to confession, I do my penance, contract. I didn't grow up with this concept that when I was sin, sinning, I was grieving, I was hurting, causing pain to God. It wasn't, it wasn't relational. And I want to encourage you that as you understand covenant, as you understand that you are in a covenant relationship with God, right? It's the end of independent living. In that covenant relationship with God, what you do affects Him personally. What you do affects Him personally. Right? And why, why might we be challenged with this? Why might not we understand this, this personal nature? Because this is kind of like I said, I had to learn as a young Christian this whole personal lovey-dovey thing with God. You know, I, I was very formal. I went to church, mass, every Sunday. And it was very formal, very, you know, about there. God was right about there. But I was still independent. I, 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 was, I was running the show, you know. But I was doing all the stuff I was supposed to. And I came across this that even helped me to understand maybe where I was coming from. It says this. It's from uh, Philip Yancey's book, Reaching for the Invisible God. He says, Adult children of alcoholics, an organization that works with families afflicted by alcoholism, identifies three coping mechanisms children learn in order to survive such a dysfunctional setting. Here's the three. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Later, as adults, these same survivors find themselves incapable of sustaining an intimate relationship and must unlearn the pattern of indifference. Christian counselors tell me that wounded Christians 
may relate to God in the same way. Reacting against a strict upbringing or feeling betrayed by God, they squelch all passion and fall back on a more formal, less personal faith. So some of us, because of life experiences, life circumstances, we come to God and we're just, we like the formality of it. We actually like God to be angry at us when we sin more than hurt. Right? We, we can deal with someone being mad, but someone being hurt because of what we did? Oh, that's personal. Oh, man. That, that, that takes the wind out of me. Right? And so we have to understand. We, we can understand ourselves. We can we say, Lord, show me me. Why do I relate to you this way? But also, where do I go from here? And here's where we go. You have to take the time to really ask God, God, if I'm in a covenant relationship with you, what areas in my life am I struggling with just wanting to be independent? What areas in my life, Lord, do I just want to be independent? That I keep for me. That I keep for me, right? And sometimes one of the reasons we struggle with this is, is we kind of have a, a cultural, worldly view of the word freedom. Okay? In the world's eyes, one of the, one of the aspects of freedom, they define freedom was what? Absent, no boundaries. Right? Freedom is, is no limits, no boundaries. I can do whatever I want. Right? Even as Christians, we might bring that into the church and think that the Bible defines freedom the same way. And it doesn't. And we're going to talk about that next week. What is biblical freedom? But here's the thing. Just, just kind of give you a word picture as we move forward. Freedom, freedom for us as believers occurs when we are in a right relationship with God. That's true freedom. That's true freedom. I'll read this quote and then I'm going to share my little pet over here. Tim Keller says this. Freedom is not the absence of limitations and constraints, but it is finding the right ones. Those that fit our nature and liberate us. The fish, he gives an example of the fish in water. The fish is free when it lives in the freedom of water. When a fish is out of water, it is not free. Likewise, humans are only free in the context of a dependent relationship with God. I read that and I've been studying this and I'm like, honey, I got to go to, I called him like at five o'clock last night. I got, we got to go to PetSmart. I need a fish. And I'm like, yeah, and so this is going to be in my office. And what he's saying, what he's saying is this fish is free as long as it's where it needs to be as it's created. In where? Water. Right? What if fish says, I'm tired of water. I want to be out in air. And he jumps out of here. What happens to fish? He's not going to be a happy He's not going to be happy very long, right? And then he's going to wish he was back where? In the water. We're fish. And we were created to be in relationship with God. And we experience true freedom. We experience true freedom as we live according to this in the power of the Holy Spirit. We get in trouble. We get in trouble 
when we want to jump out of the water. I'm tired. I want to be independent. I want to do my own thing. Let me back in. Let me back in. The fish thrives in an environment where he was created to be. We thrive in an environment we are created to be, which is in a relationship with God. Amen? That relationship with God is a covenant relationship. That relationship with God means independent living is done. Now, but I was raised to be independent. I was raised to be self-sufficient. I was going to go to school. I was going to get a job, get a house, a car, and two and a half kids. I wasn't going to need anybody. I don't need anybody. See, this runs countercultural to the American dream and our value system. We are all raised to be independent, self-sufficient. God says, you're fish. I created you to be in relationship with me, to walk according to my truth and the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you stay there, you're going to have the abundant life that Jesus talked about. Amen? So as we move forward and as you're pressing on, the next step is understanding you're in covenant. The next step is understanding because you're in covenant, independent living is done. It's done. And next week, we're going to look at King David. And many of you know the story of King David and Bathsheba, right? If you have a chance, it's in there. It's in your notes. 2 Samuel 11. Read it through the lens of King David deciding he wanted to do his own thing. That was just really a story of independence. King David got comfortable. King David didn't go out to war like he was supposed to. King David said, Lord, I got this. I'm just going to have a season of independence. And we'll see what happens because... He jumped out. He jumped out. And my encouragement to us as we move forward, again, it's baby steps, but this is a toughie, guys. I mean, I've shared with you some of some of the struggles I had. You know, I, I was one of those kids, man, you tell me what to do or tell me I can't do something. Right? That, that classic, you tell me to sit down. Well, I might sit down, but I'm standing up on the inside, right? I was an independent little rebel. And, and this idea of being in covenant with God. See, I like a God who is a contract God. I like a God where I just do what I need to do. He's happy, but I get to be independent. I like that kind of God. I like that kind of religion. The covenant relationship... When I'm not my own? Man. I'll be honest with you. That's a daily daily choice I have to make to submit. That's a daily choice I have to surrender. Because I was raised to be pretty darn independent. And to to live in radical dependence, knowing that this is really where I'm going to thrive in God's economy 
If I will, if I will submit and yield to a covenant relationship with Him and just walk in obedience and faith, I'm going to thrive. Why is that so hard? <laughs> right? It's that, it's that flesh in us. It's, it's, it's in nature. I'm going to keep talking about this. Independence. If you look at your notes there, three questions. Doing the Word. What difference does it make in my life knowing that sin is personal and not just about an objective list of do's and don'ts? What impact does it make in my life knowing that when I sin, I grieve God? In what areas of my life have I been living independently of God? Here's the phrase. It's my time. It's my money. They're my friends. It's my habits. It's my entertainment. It's my body. It's my fun. It's my stuff. It's my relationships. It's my career. It's my social life. It's my schedule. It's my priorities. And then you can fill in. That's, that's, that's a challenge. It's a challenge. And it's very similar to when you get married and you realize, hey, it's not okay. It's a big we now. Well, with the Lord, when you enter in covenant with the Lord, it's a we. It's an eternal we. But it's the best we ever. Amen? It's the best we ever. As a youth pastor uh, through the years, especially with high schoolers, I, I annually uh, had, the, had the dating and relationship talk. Right? And you go through God's vision for dating and relationships and, you, you know, what is lust, what is love. And sometimes I even have a ladder with holding hands and all the way up, right? And I, do, I spend weeks on this dating and relationship talk. Inevitably, when all was said and done, I get usually a guy would come up to me, one of the students, call me and say, hey, can I talk to you? Yeah. Okay. So I need to know, how far can I go? I'm like, dude, you just, whoosh. he just missed it. The whole point in the, in, the, in the biblical teaching on dating and relationships was when you have a relationship with someone, you want to honor God. You want to live to please God. You want what's best for the other person. You don't want to stumble them. You want them to honor God. Whatever you do as a couple, you want it to honor God. But see, many of us are like that student. So, pastor, what can I get away with? That's not what we're talking about here. It's not about what you can get away with. We're not going to give you a two-page list of okays, not okays, kind of gray. We're not going to. That's not the heart of this biblical teaching because if you're going to understand biblical uh, teaching on sin, you've got to understand it comes out of a covenant relationship with God. It comes out of a covenant relationship with God where one of the aspects, again, when you entered that covenant relationship, it was the end of independent living. But the good news is, you thrive. You thrive when you stay in the relationship that you were created to be in. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for reminding us this morning that we are in a covenant relationship with you, a permanent union. And in that truth, 
our independent living has come to an end. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We were bought at a price. We are not our own. And so, Father, I ask You, through Your Holy Spirit, to reveal to us areas in our life where we have been struggling, resisting, straight-up rebelling in our desire to live independently. Maybe it's not some huge sin like David and Bathsheba with adultery and murder and all of that, but Lord, maybe it's in these areas that we listed off. Maybe without even realizing that our independence is grieving you. It's grieving you. And so, Father, as we prepare for communion, we hold the cups in our hands as a reminder that covenant is about love. Jesus, you said that this was the new covenant in your blood. which is poured out for us. And we're reminded that through faith in You, by grace, we are in right relationship. We are in covenant. So as we hold these cups in this time of remembrance, Jesus, we remember what You did for us at Calvary, but we also remember we're in covenant this morning. And we also remember that we are not our own. We were bought with a price, and that price was your blood. And for that, we are eternally grateful.